Matthew chapter number 1, starting with verse number 1, the Bible says this, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. And Judas begot Phares, and Zara of Thamar, and Phares begot Esram, and Esram begot Aram. And Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab Nason, and Nason Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abiah, and Abiah begot Asa. And Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Jeram, and Jeram begot Ozias. And Ozias begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Achaz, and Achaz begot Ezekias. And Ezekias begot Manasseh, Manasseh, and Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias. And Josias begot Jochanias and his brethren about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after that they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot uh, Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abihud, and Abihud Eliakim, and Eliahim begot Azor, and Azor begot Sadak, and Sadak begot Akim, and Akim begot Elihud, and Elihud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you now. Lord, as humbly as I know how to, I pray your mercy upon my sins. I pray, dear God, that you would wash me in the blood of Christ once again and hide me behind the cross, as I can do nothing on my own, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that the message that is preached today would be an encouragement to your people. And Father, I pray that you would help us, dear God, to do that which is your will. Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Pray that you'd meet every need today, dear God, even the need of salvation. And Lord, that you'd comfort every heart and strengthen us in this time, dear God. And Father, I pray that as we come and and celebrate this Christmas season, that we would remember it is about the birth of Christ more than anything else. Father, we thank you for your love today. Pray that you'd meet with us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come here dealing... Uh, with the announcement, looking at, at two parts of this chapter here, uh, one part this week and then uh, another part next week if the Lord will allow there, but looking in the first 17 verses, we see the announcement of the birth of Christ. Now, uh, this may seem like a, a useless bunch of names that is put together. This may seem very boring when you see so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so, but there's a reason for the way that it is listed out. In Genesis uh, 2 and verse number 4, you have the first list of generations, which deals with creation. In in, uh, Matthew 1 there, you have the last list of of generations, and that deals with uh, those that were born into Christ. Now, as we look here, and we look at the announcement of the Lord Jesus, I want to look at this from uh, just a little bit different perspective this morning, because uh, we live in a day and time. Where Christmas time, if you're not getting a diamond ring or a brand new car, then it's just not Christmas. If you, you see the commercials and everybody is smiling and everybody is, is wealthy and all these things are going great and it's families gathered around a great dinner table. But the truth of the matter is, when you look at people today, we see that this time of year, and it points out, there are hurting people. Right? Christmas, many times. Yeah, we look at it and it reminds us of loss, it reminds us of loneliness. Now, I don't mean to to be a bearer of bad news by any means, but I want to tell you that our hope today, 
That our, our, our grace, our peace, our joy today is not found in a diamond ring under the tree. It's not found in a brand new car parked outside. It's not found in anything you could buy at a store. It is found in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what brings hope today. That's what will encourage a heart. That's what will comfort the one who is putting on that smile and standing in front of everybody and saying everything's good, but on the inside, that heart is broken. I was reading a, a story about a name by the name uh, by a man by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He, he lived in the 1800s. He was a, a poet and a teacher. And this man, uh, in, in 1863, he wrote a poem. I heard uh, the bells on Christmas Day, and I, wa- I want to point out a couple things about that. And I'm going to give you a little bit of his background so you know where I'm coming from. This man, uh, Henry Wadsworth, there he, he had come to the place. He had a family. Uh, his his wife. And two years prior to him writing this poem, uh, she had been tragically killed in a fire. He was there. He had tried to save her. Uh, matter of fact, the flames had actually scarred his face so deep that for the rest of his life, he grew a very thick beard and kept it over top of him. He was known for that. He'd always keep that to hide up those scars. But this was a man who uh, had lost his wife right around this time, two years prior. And then his son, during the Civil War there, his son had enlisted uh, in, in the Northern Army there and was gone. And he had gotten word that his son had been shot and wounded, and he didn't know whether or not he was alive. And he got to looking and he got to hearing those Christmas bells and, and, and hearing them chime out about peace on earth. And, and uh, deep down in his heart, you know, he, he's, he's, he hears these bells and he thinks about all the songs and, and he goes to try and sing these songs. He said, I just couldn't do it. He said, I just could not sing about peace on earth when my heart was broken, when my family I was in pieces, when I didn't know whether or not my son was alive. And he began to be uh, very broken hearted over that thing. And I want to read to you just a couple stanzas of this poem there. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar uh, carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And thought how on, uh, excuse me, and thought how as the day had come, uh, the belfies of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And in, di- and in despair I bowed my head there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now if we left it right there, it would be very discouraging, it would be very heartbreaking when we see that. This was a man that was broken hearted, no doubt about it. But as he began to, to write these words and pen these words, he also began to pray. And the Holy Spirit of God began to come and to move on his heart. And he finished up the poem with this, he said, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God had come to where He was and had met Him right in that place of despair and had showed Him that He was still in control. Friends, I've talked with many of you this Christmas season. And it's not all bells and whistles. It's not all smiles. There's broken hearts. There's hurt within homes. There's things that are going on there. I want to tell you today that Jesus is still here and He is still able to meet every need. Matter of fact, when we look at this section of Scripture here, when they announced the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to notice just a couple things, and we're going to be very mindful with our time. A little bit different message this morning, but I want you to notice a couple things. I want you to notice, first of all, the timing. 
prior to this announcement, prior to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, prior to the birth of John the Baptist and the announcement of Him coming, there had been 400 years of silence in Israel. God had not sent a prophet. God had not sent a priest. God had not raised up a man to carry that light there. Israel had rebelled against God and had gone out there. There had been captivity. There had been homes that had been destroyed. There was 400 years where God was silent. You say, preacher, did God lose control? Absolutely not. But He was waiting for that perfect time to bring the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I wonder in how many, in, in how many times in that 400 years... The, the faithful, there, there's always been a remnant. There's always been a few. And I wonder how many times, and uh, how many of them in, the, in that time period there, I wondered and cried out, God, where are you? I wonder how many had gotten to a place of, of desperation and a place of hurt there, and, and I wondered if God had forsaken them, and yet God was still working in the background there. He was still working exactly the way that He had promised to do, exactly the way that He had prophesied to do in the Old Testament, that Christ would come, uh, that He would be born in Jerusalem. Micah 5.2 tells us the city. We know the time there. We know He was born of a virgin. Isaiah uh, 7 and verse number 14. We know uh, that He came. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 and 7 tells us that He would come and He would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. But I wonder how many times they looked out during those 400 years and said, God, where are you? I wonder how many of God's people, as we gather together in this building right here, have come in and they've put on a smile, they've gone home, everything, and, and shown a, a persona to their family that everything is good, but inside their heart is breaking. I wonder how many are looking and everything's not the way that they would want it to be. Friends, this message is for you today. God is still in control. His timing is perfect. He never makes a mistake. He never fails. God's quiet is not a sign that you have sinned or that you are outside of His will. Sometimes it is Him building our character and strengthening us. Sometimes it is God preparing our hearts so that we will rightly appreciate and receive the blessing that God has for us. Friends, as I said before, when you have a child, and that child goes through the toy store, goes through the aisle there and says, I want this, I want this, I want this, and that parent says, alright, and buys it right then, that child many times within six months can't tell you where that toy was at. There's no appreciation for it. But when that child has to wait for it, or, or work for it to some extent, uh, they, they appreciate those things a little bit more. Friends, sometimes God... Though He hears your prayers when you pray them, He doesn't answer them all the time exactly when we think He should. Why? Because our timing isn't right and He's sovereign. And He knows what He's doing there. That timing, uh, they had waited no doubt for such a long time to the point uh, they had come to the place where it surprised many people at the birth of Christ. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies of the birth of Christ. There are over 300 of them. They knew the Scripture. And yet they had come to the place where it had surprised them. Why? Because their timing was not God's timing, but He was still in control. Not only do we see the timing, but we see the testimony that's being spoken of. They give a list throughout this here uh, of the generations there. Three sets of 14 that we see there. Uh, from, uh, from Abraham to David was 14 generations. From David to the captivity of Babylon was 14. And from the captivity of Babylon to the birth of Christ was 14 generations. 
Numbers in Scripture mean something. The number three is the number of perfection. It speaks of the, God, of the Trinity, the Godhead. The number seven, uh, excuse me, the number 14 is the byproduct of the number of two and seven, the multiplication of two and seven. Two in Scripture is the number of witness, and seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection also. We see here that these generations, perfectly spaced there, were the exact witness and the exact testimony to the perfection of God's plan of redemption brought down through men. It was promised there, the fact that He was promised to Abraham, the fact that He is of the lineage of Abraham, as we look there, uh, Matthew, Matthew 1 there gives us uh, the account from, uh, Joseph to Abraham, or from Abraham to Joseph there. Uh, that's the lineage of Joseph's side there. Uh, Luke 3 uh, gives the account of Mary's side there, and it goes from David uh, down through Mary there. Both of those are, are very significant. As we look there, the fact that it comes through uh, the line of Abraham there, what it speaks of is divinity because it talks about a fulfillment of that godly promise. What we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 and verse number 3, God said, I'll bless them, that bless thee and I'll multiply them. Uh, he's, he talked about the fact that God would multiply the children of Israel through that line there. And that they would be a chosen and a special people there. From that line, from the lineage of Abraham came uh, the Lord Jesus Christ now. Not only was it a divine line, uh, but it was also a line there, uh, speaking of a dynasty there, the fact that it came through David. When we look at that as a reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 2 there, also Psalm 132 and verse number 11 where God promised that from the lineage of David there would always be a king to rule and reign there. There would always be one uh, to sit on the throne there. Now we know the Lord Jesus Christ will come and be that eternal king. But God was using this as a testimony. He was using this uh, in perfection there. Now, in verse 16, He points out something very uh, significant there. About 39 other times that we read through there, it says, so-and-so begot so-and-so. But as we get to verse 16, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. It does not say that Joseph begot Jesus because he didn't. He is not the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not, a, excuse me, let me rephrase that. He is not the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an earthly figure for him. But the Lord Jesus Christ, we know, is, is of divine seed that he come uh, through the womb of a virgin, through Mary there, as promised, all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about 750 years prior to the birth of Christ. 750 years before that birth, it was promised. He was the one to carry up that, uh, that, that uh, throne there. He, he had a, a, a royal dynasty there. It was a, a godly promise that was given there. And it also caused a, a split division there. As we talked about those uh, three different sets of 14. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? What I'm telling you is that the birth of Christ there was no accident. It wasn't something that just happened. It wasn't something that came unplanned there. This was something that was divinely spoken of long before uh, David was ever thought of, long before Abraham was thought of, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam had sinned there and God came to Adam and Eve there, and in Genesis 3 and verse number 15, He said, in the seed of the woman, all right, the seed of a woman, anybody, we're, we're all adults here, we're mature adults here, we know uh, that the seed of a man is what reproduces a child there, and it is the seed of a woman there, a virgin born, promised Messiah was going to come, and now God is fulfilling this thing perfectly on time, just the way He said He would, because Christ is still in control. He is still on the throne there. 
And that Bible testifies of it that He is still in control. The timing, the testimony, but we also see the totality. Look at verse number 5. It says, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, right, the spelling is a little bit different because in the New Testament you have it written in the Greek, and the Old Testament you have it in the Hebrew. That's why the spelling of the names is a little bit different. But if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you are familiar with a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab, we read about in the book of Joshua, was the one who helped hide the spies and protect them. She believed on God there. And God, they had told her, they said, if you tie a crimson cord, a red cord, and hide that and stick that cord in the window, all who are inside of that place will be protected. What a beautiful picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are also familiar with Rahab, you know that any other time she is mentioned in Scripture, she is referred to as Rahab the harlot. When we look at Ruth, Ruth is a woman, if you read the book of Ruth there, who was from the the, uh, country of Moab. That is also significant because Moab, if you read in the Scripture there, uh, Moab is what, Psalm 60 there, God calls Moab his wash pot. It is literally a place of filth that God has forsaken. Now, you have these two people that are brought in to the lineage of Jesus Christ there. Ruth is, this is the only place in Scripture she is not referred to as the Moabite. It's the only place in Scripture Rahab is not referred to as the harlot there. You say, preacher, why is that? Because they are, uh, they're in the line of Christ. Because when they're announced with Christ, when they're put in the place of Christ, they are seen in perfection. Here is a woman that, no doubt, a very checkered background when it comes to being a harlot. And, and Moabitess was somebody that was very much paganistic, and yet God has brought her into this family and has listed her among the righteous and put her in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as we look at this section of Scripture and we see the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that we are reminded of what Christmas is really about. As I said, it's, it's amazing when we turn on the television, we see there, Smiling faces. Everybody gathered around. You see everybody with with the, the most expensive and the most extravagant gifts. But that's not reality today. That's not reality. There are people that are struggling with sickness right now. There are those, as we look at in this church, family members who are on their deathbed. There are those who are no doubt dealing with brokenheartedness and loss as they're reminded of a Christmas season without a parent or without a spouse or without a loved one. And what I'm telling you is that commercial won't do you any good. If you were to get that new diamond ring, the shine would wear off long before the pain in your heart ever did. That car there, uh, that payment's going to come due long before the comfort in your heart is there. What I'm telling you, is that we need to look past all of that. Just as they had to look past that 400 years of darkness and they had to look to the promises of God. There are some folks here today. And right now at Christmas, when you look at it, it's not not lining up to be what you want it to be. Look past all the commercial and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is right on time. He never fails, and salvation is still the greatest gift that could ever be given. God is still in control. 
He's not lost a thing. He's not forgotten about you. He knows right where you are. He knows what you're going through. And even more important than that, He loves you no matter what. I think sometimes, and we'll get ready to close in just a minute. As a matter of fact, I know sometimes come to a place in society where, where much of the, the New Age Christianity is it's not Bible preaching. It's not expository preaching. It is more, uh, it's more of a um, self-help. It's more of the, the uh, insp- motivational speaking kind of thing. It talks about how good we are and how, how blessed and this, that, and the other. Friends, that's not our message today. We don't have anything. Right? There's nobody in here more deserving of salvation than anyone else. There's nobody in here more deserving of God's blessing. There's nobody in here that is of less value to God than anybody else. We need to be reminded of that today. We stand solely on grace. We stand and we rely only on the mercy of God. His grace is sufficient for every need. His mercy is new every morning. And the gift of everlasting life, friends, it is eternal, it is powerful, it's all we need today. Because guess what? It's the only gift that's going to last. I'm reminded, as I look at this Christmas season, see all the, the, the flash and all the the jewelry and all the the expense and all those things, I'm reminded I've preached many funerals as a pastor. I've never one time seen anybody take anything with them. I've never one time been been by the the deathbed of somebody that says, man, I wish I would have accumulated more stuff. I've talked to people say, I wish I would have lived more for the Lord. I wish I would have been more faithful. I wish I would have done more for God. But I've never one time met somebody that said, man, I wish I I would have gathered more things. Friends, let me ask you, as we get ready to close out, we get ready to go downstairs, enjoy a good time of fellowship. What does Christmas really mean to you this year? If it is the presence under the tree, you will be disappointed. No matter what you get, the news is going to wear off soon. But if, if it reminds us of the birth of our most precious gift, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, if it points someone that is lost today, to see the need of an eternal gift, a gift that does not fade, then Christmas holds its value. I tell you, we, we live in a day and time, it's amazing how many liberals stand up and say, I don't want to hear about Jesus, but boy, they don't mind celebrating all the gifts. It's because they've missed the point. The greatest gift, the most encouraging gift, is the fact that God can still, and still does, keep His promises. The fact that God can take somebody that was a harlot, that was a Moabite, that was an idolater, uh, that was somebody filthy and sin, and can bring them into the very family of Christ and make them perfect. That's what we celebrate today. That's the only thing that's going to comfort you when you're hurting. That's the only thing, because guess what? There's a lot of folks that can't afford a new diamond ring. There's a lot of folks who can't afford a brand new car, the nicest gifts. There's a lot of folks who are struggling just to get by. I want to tell you something. God loves you as much as the person who can afford all the flesh in the world. And God is more interested in whether or not you have the Lord Jesus Christ than He is over any gift that could possibly be given. Friends, today as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, 
as we get ready to step into the Christmas season, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. There's nothing wrong if you're able to. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let it be the meaning of Christmas today. Don't let it be. Don't let something under the tree be what completes you this year. Let the one that hung on the tree be what completes you. Don't celebrate what's waiting under the tree. Celebrate what was on the tree today. That's what it's all about. Friends, there's no one here, no matter what you have or don't have, that's any more important, that's any less important. There's no one here that God has forgotten about, no matter what you're going through right now. Whether Christmas is the greatest time of year for you or whether it's a really hard time, there's no one here that God has forgotten about. He is still in control. His promises are still faithful. He will carry it out to the end. And friends, if you are saved today, you have the greatest gift that could ever be given. God help us when we think about salvation, that it doesn't end up like that tree, that that gift that we wanted so bad and we forgot where it's at in six months. But God help us that every morning we wake up, we thank the Lord for being so good to us. Christianity, salvation, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the only gift that continues to keep on giving day in and day out. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. As we sung about earlier, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Won't be long. God will be bringing us into His presence. God help us that we celebrate that this morning. Let's all stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed.